0: us at Instagram and Facebook. We have so many goodies to share with you. Let's dive right in together. Hey guys, I'm so glad you could join us for another Enneagram episode. We have so much fun today talking about marriage, relationships, and all things nature today because we have a very fun guest, Stephanie Spencer, Enneagram 4, is going to come on and share with us about her new project, Out of the Box and Into the Wild, an Enneagram study on nature and the triads. So you are going to get to feast on the imagery of her beautiful travels. If you see this on YouTube or just to get her book and the extrapolation she can make from those travels to us as to metaphorical understanding of the Enneagram instead of the understanding of just like putting ourselves into that box like you're a type one, you're a type two, you're a perfectionist, you're a performer. Uh, She expands us a bit. She allows us to play. And I think that's what this whole month of podcasts has been about is adventuring together. And she does that through beauty. I love her foreness that she brings into uh, this process with us to just tell us even in the backstory that she uh, came to this book and all of the beautiful nature uh, viewing that she does through wonder and through really sitting with the textures and the sensations of each place and each metaphor she chooses to use for each type. So I hope these metaphors really bless you in your relationship so that instead of just coming at your partner, you can be a bit more out of the box and say like, ooh, I noticed we have these through lines together or uh, I could be a bit like a bear at times. You could be a bit like an octopus. And and we'll talk these analogies out, but she's got so many more and also very rich earthy metaphors and uh, metaphors from biology that we can just, instead of always using the type language, really allow ourselves to expand even in how we uh, think of our families and ourselves. So I'm excited for this episode. And I know when I was doing family therapy work and clinical studies, a lot of times you do, even today with clients, use a family metaphor. And some people will say, Oh, we're like a boat because we really float well and we have fun. And, or they might be like, And here's who's at the front of that boat. Or, uh, you know, if we use the analogy of an animal, we can really allow ourselves to say, like, but I get very self protective when I go hibernate. So you can see that instead of just polarizing, we're bringing, in a new language. And I think that is so cool because in marriage, we need creativity and healthy metaphors and language because uh, they can get really heated, right? You know, I just came off a trip, a traveling trip with people for like seven or eight days together. And, and you're like, oh, I need a little bit of space or uh, I need a little bit of a, a new way to talk about how I'm feeling that isn't going to hurt anybody's feelings. Um, and so it's, it's beautiful to have Stephanie to share with with us and to guide us through ways to say here's the strength of yours here's the strength of mine and uh let's also remember the beauty and the glory of uh letting stress off in marriage in fun in summer in relationships when we need to most so maybe you're not listening to this episode or watching it in the summer but either way make sure you're starting to also as you listen to this convo um Just join us for thoughts about getting your own travels going, even if it's very small places locally. Like I live in the Tampa, St. Pete, the area of Florida. Like, okay, I could go to the Florida scrub or the ocean and enjoy a preserve and and go kayaking. And these are things I can do right here. Or we could be talking about Stephanie's great trips where she's thinking about, she's, I think, headed on to Sequoia um, Arches. She's going uh, to Zion. She's going to be all over doing this beautiful exploration. And then she'll go home to her Northern city. So it's, it's important that you look with us at both these wonderful epic journeys you can take as well as just the journeys that are everyday, right? So I know I grew up in Michigan. We were always hiking and on nature walks constantly at the Metro parks and um, wherever you're at, just enjoy that space outdoors in the wild, get yourself out of the box, out of the number for a little bit, and just join us on this journey with Stephanie so that we can deep dive together into what I hope is a beautiful way for you to learn. Stephanie, thank you so much for joining us on the Enneagram and Marriage podcast. I'm so excited for this. You're welcome. I'm happy to be here. Oh, well, we were just talking before we got on about recent adventures and this whole month on the podcast, we've been doing the very same. So thank you for sharing adventures with us. So excited to talk about you, your adventures, your book today. Tell us a little bit about yourself. Um, So I live in Minnesota. I am
1: from Wisconsin originally, which is actually a surprisingly different culture than Minnesota. Mm -hmm. Um, And uh, my husband and I met there actually, when we were in college, we both went to UW Madison and stayed there a while before coming back to Minnesota, where he's from. Um, I used to be a pastor. um, And now I am an Enneagram coach and I co-lead a nonprofit uh, here in the Twin Cities. And I
0: have two teenage boys. Oh, how cool and interesting and diverse. And now you have to tell us what are the differences between Minnesota and Wisconsin, if there are. <laughs> yeah, this is so interesting. Well, I think I, the way I would summarize it is about how
1: immigration affects uh, the culture of a place in the long term. So, mm-hmm. more German immigrants settled in Wisconsin, more Scandinavian immigrants settled in Minnesota. And there's a big difference between German and Scandinavian culture, which oh. creates a big difference between Wisconsin and minneapolis or minnesota culture
0: absolutely it does and some of my friends from and you know of course any gram lingo as to listeners um one of my best friends down here is from minnesota such a nine just like so sweet <laughs> like now you're helping mm-hmm. me to understand the scandinavian culture probably a bit more well there's a there's a there's a <laughs> phrase called minnesota nice
1: um oh. <laughs> which is really actually means minnesota passive-aggressive <laughs> Which yeah. could also describe nine potentially. Yes.
0: <laughs> true, true, and we've talked at that length of that too, because uh, we used to co-teach together. But like, right. so amazing, so sweet, Anna. If you're listening, I adore you. <laughs> <laughs> but I love hearing that that there's this difference, and that you got to be part of both. How cool is that? Yeah, and it's and we've lived here now in Minnesota for um ten. 11 years. Mm-hmm. Um,
1: and so we're we're pretty embedded here. And my husband grew up here. I grew up in Wisconsin.
0: Mm, okay. And is there more of a, a one or a six overlay in Wisconsin? Do you see any kind of Enneagram tendencies there? Yeah, I would say it
1: probably depends what part you're in. Um, yeah. We lived in Madison after we got married, which is its own
0: okay.
1: uh, progressive, interesting little bubble yeah. <laughs> compared yeah. to the rest of the state. I grew up in a smaller town that I would say is more six-ish in its culture.
0: Yeah. Well, very diverse, and you mm-hmm. bring to us this beautiful diversity and all you do. Tell me a little bit about – you said you have your two boys, and how old mm-hmm. are they? Uh, 16 and 13. Oh, do they know their Enneagram types, or do you kind of hold off on that?
1: Yeah, I, I really uh, – a little bit. So um, I want them to take the lead on, on that, and so when they're interested, we talk about it. When they're not interested, we don't talk about it, and I want to help them type themselves more than – have them feel typed by me. So I have some guesses.
0: <laughs> Ooh, I love- they have
1: some guesses, but we haven't officially uh, done that together.
0: Yeah. And we're going to go over some triad work today too. And that might even be what some parents do where they're like, okay, no, you're a heart type. I know you're a thinking type. I know you're a body type. Mm-hmm. Uh, so that's fun to be able to hold it loosely for those ages. Yes. Mm-hmm. Um- yeah. I find that too. Yes. And tell me a little bit about how you met your spouse or um, just family stuff, too. Yeah, we, um, we both, uh, went to the same college
1: and so, yeah, um, we right. met there and so we got, we got married pretty young actually. So I was 21 and he was 23 when we got married Yeah, and, um, and we'll be married this summer. We'll be married for 23 years. We got married in 2000, which is nice. It, like, that's an easy, yeah. we always know what anniversary we're
0: yeah, on. It's true. <laughs> so oh that's
1: God. really helpful. That's yeah. <laughs> um, so, uh, you know, I think, uh, It's been interesting uh, using Enneagram now as a tool for marriage. We didn't have that in the beginning of our marriage, but um, I am a four and he is a one. And that has become a really helpful way to understand our similarities and our differences um, as we have found that language for it. And I find him to be a really important grounding presence in my life. And Mm -hmm. we have in common that sort of partnership with a one, it sounds like, um, and being across that arrow line. Yeah. Um, and what it is to have the, the grounding force across that arrow line with, with another type. So uh, it took me a while to land on type four for myself, actually, cause I'm a self-preservation type. And so, oh, yeah. uh, it, it Found sort it. of hides itself. Um, yeah. mm-hmm. but, um, and I think in marriage that becomes an interesting thing because I, um, I can sometimes stay a little quiet about what I need and want because mm-hmm. there's a thing in me that feels like I should always be suffering. Mm-hmm. Um, and I don't know if fours are sometimes portrayed as types that are loud about their needs. And I think self-preservation types are actually more likely to be quiet about their needs because mm-hmm. of the way that we can reinforce patterns of suffering through not asking for what we need. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So that's something I've been working on in
0: recent years and in marriage is
1: doing mm-hmm.
0: that more which is so good for your marriage because with a one, uh, they can just, as we know, you know, in that way, just kind of plug forward and do. And if you don't say this is really spelled out here, although they have a four as well, and sometimes ones can actually dig and see it. Mm-hmm. I often notice that, yes, my husband can do that at times, but a lot of times, as you said, that self pressed four piece can hide and so they have no idea they're just in the doing space. And so you right. had to really be brave and bold and take some risks, I bet.
1: <laughs>
0: and and it was interesting, actually, I remember this conversation
1: happened like a year ago when we were hiking uh, together on a, on a trip to Colorado mm-hmm. that um, I said, when you ask me for things, do you expect that I say no if I can't do them? <laughs> And he said, of course. <laughs> yeah. And I realized that what had happened is sort of as that gut type, he yeah. he will always try to get what he can get. So he'll always ask for me to do like if he wants me to make dinner, he'll ask me to make dinner. And yeah. he's expecting that if I can't make dinner, I'll say no. And so mm-hmm. I was in this place where I had been thinking of him as being demanding.
0: Mm-hmm. But it was
1: really because I wasn't being mm-hmm. Um, And so just kind of working that out and saying like, oh, He's actually just asking; mm-hmm. he's not demanding. Yeah. Um, and what is it to speak up when I when I can or can't do something, and realize that's actually my issue and not his when it's happening?
0: Mm-hmm. Yeah, I've definitely projected a lot in that way as well. And I think that sometimes when you do have, and you also have, like you said, a one arrow, when you mm-hmm. have that, your own self-critic can come in and say, like, that person in the body space, a one, eight, or nine, they're judging me, they're critiquing me, and you're like. I'm telling a story that isn't true, right? Right, I love that Brene Brown language
1: of the story I'm telling
0: myself is exactly because it's often not actually the story. Yeah, yeah, it's true. Um, and then there's that victim space in the four, so we could really go all day. And uh, I loved this actually. She's a one-four combo. Also, Elizabeth Bennett came on earlier last year on the podcast, and she's like something that's been helpful for the four space is to remember um, that we can always come back to it if we need it, <laughs> but we need to get mm-hmm. up and do. And I, I, I remember that and it helps me sometimes when I'm stuck yeah. there. And I think actually that's where I really see
1: sometimes I don't fit some of the descriptions of a four, I think because I've been married to a one for so long. Oh. And so there's a lot of that energy that's pulled me forward, um, as we've been together and partnered because he's such a doer and I'll go with him on the doing and it'll pull me out of stuckness in a really helpful way.
0: Yeah, that's beautiful. I love that glow between the one and four in that way. You guys are such a beautiful combo. You do shine so brightly. And like you said, you're doing inhibited. He's doing dominant in that way because ones are doers. Uh So I'm grateful. And now you get to share with us out of that beautiful bright light you bring together some of your adventures. So uh, it's all coming together with me realizing you're a four as to the way you've been able to captivate us with the beauty of the text. So Mm -hmm. I hope our listeners who are uh, actually viewing on YouTube might be able to get a sneak peek in, of your book in a few minutes. Um, but yay. Sure. But I also, before <laughs> that, tell us a little bit about like why it's helpful for couples to adventure in your view.
1: Yeah. You know, that's something that we um, have always had between us is traveling together. And for us, we find that that has been more important than having dates. So -hmm. when either of us have a date um, away, like when, especially in thinking about when the kids were young, it just wasn't quite enough time Mm -hmm. to really find presence with each other um, Mm -hmm. just for a night. And so there's value in that. But what we really found is we were lucky enough to have grandparents who could help to get away Mm -hmm. for weekends or even weeks uh, uh, a week or so once a year by the, just the two of us to have that space and time of travel and getting away being in nature. And that there's, Mm -hmm. um, when we do something like that, that's really grounding for the two of us. And then as the kids have gotten older, we've also then had adventures together, the four of us, um, which has been really beautiful. So we love traveling internationally. Um, my husband speaks Spanish. So that's really helped us travel to Spanish speaking places. We love camping, Um, And we love there's, we just went hiking on Sunday on Father's Day. And um, we were talking about how, like, there's just a space for conversation differently hiking between the two of us. And when the kids are with us, um, where you're just not distracted, you're side by side, there's a way that it's just a different sort of space than sitting at a table or sitting at home. Um, to hike together and so we love traveling out west to national parks so we did a national park road trip every couple years we do one of them so we did a yellowstone road trip uh one year a couple Mm -hmm. years ago we did glacier and tetons and this year we're actually doing yosemite and
0: Mm -hmm.
1: um zion and a bunch of those western ones so we're really looking
0: forward to that in july Oh my gosh I'm so happy for you and just knowing you're gonna capture it and I I know both as a one and a four you guys are just gonna sit in it and revel in that beauty aren't you
1: yeah well maybe not so much sitting there's a lot of hiking
0: <laughs> There's a lot of movement
1: Capturing yeah that's that true movement.
0: you were saying that he's got you going as a one and, and right. you're in your space of happy joy yeah uh, and I bring okay. my camera
1: along and, oh. and I'll pause to take pictures and we'll we'll figure that out and we actually got a permit um, this summer to hike both half dome and angels landing, both of which are lotteries. And we won both lotteries and I'm terrified and excited that we're going to yes. do these oh <laughs>
0: dangerous gosh, that's amazing. My mm-hmm. friend got engaged on half dome. Um, and it is apparently like you're saying from what I saw in Yosemite last year, it looks pretty intense. So I'm really excited for you.
1: Yeah, it's like a 17 mile hike with a lot of elevation gain and these like chains at the end that you have to hold on to to get up.
0: And so I'm a little bit scared of heights. (laughs) Just don't look down. (laughs) fine. That's what I've noticed when they're scarier. I'm like, don't look down, just enjoy the beautiful yes. view and the beautiful sky.
1: <laughs> well, and one of the things I've realized, like when we camp together as a family, what I love um, as a self-preservation type, my I'm, um, my partner's a social type.
0: Mm-hmm. And
1: so as a self-preservation type, sometimes my anxiety is higher than it needs to be about things like hikes, especially with the kids. And so I've actually used him as my adventure radar. <laughs> Like when we're together as a family and the kids will say like, can I climb that rock? I have an instinct that says no, but that's one of the times I'll look to him and say, what do you think? Because you have this sort of orientation to what's right. That is usually right. Annoyingly so. Um, (laughs) Yeah. (laughs) And this sort of gut strength that says, no, they can handle that. And so I, um, I'm sort of relying on that this summer too, that as we do these more dangerous things, there's a way I can be like, all right, are we Okay okay, we look like, okay, I'm going to trust that we're okay.
0: Oh, I love that. I love that you can capitalize with your husband's strength here. And also, you know, you'll get that full saturation of enjoyment and and less regret when you do that, when you kind of press on towards something different and you come into that balance of your instinct. That's mm-hmm. a beautiful reminder for our listeners who might also tend towards too much social, too much self press, too much one-to-one. There's that beautiful striking of balance when you marry and then, Uh, You're also telling us that the shadow for you guys of Uh, the one-to-one, which is ours as well, it is nurtured by you traveling together even more than date nights. So that's Mm -hmm. important for people to listen who are like, we're not super date nighty. Like you don't have to be, but just make sure you're continuing on adventures. And I love how you say this is an important space because we can um, be in nature together. And I love how you're challenging yourself with hikes, but I also love to remind families with younger children, like there's easy hikes for them to do too. Lots of those probably along the way through many years of marriage hmm Yeah. It
1: hasn't always been big ones or hard ones. Sometimes it's even just going, um, you know, down to a river and, and hanging out or we have, we have a waterfall here in the Twin Cities called Minnehaha Falls. That's just really easy to get to, and you can do a short little hike and it's a lovely chance
0: to be out. That's beautiful. Tell us your trajectory of your trip. Cause you were telling me, and it's, it's so fun to hear other people so that you can maybe plan that one too. Yeah. Well, I think
1: what we landed on that was, um, an unexpected help is that we, I'm going out to the International Enneagram Association Conference in San Francisco in July. And we decided that that actually could be the starting point of the trip. So the whole family is flying out, but then we are renting a car one way, which really helps from Minnesota to get to those Western national parks because the loop of that drive is so long. So mm. we'll be we able to start in California and drive back to Minnesota. Um, And in doing that, we'll have more time at each place than if we had to do the whole loop. So we're spending some time in Yosemite, and then um, Sequoia, Kings Canyon, and then Zion and Bryce, and then Arches and Canyonlands, and then going, uh, so both those are in Utah, and then we'll go into Colorado and do some Mesa Verde and some Great Sand Dunes, and then we'll drive back, because honestly, from Colorado to Minnesota, there's not much Okay. Exciting! Sorry, anyone who lives yes. in Nebraska and <laughs> in between, but we'll just try to drive that fast,
0: right? Because they do other things. They go to coffee shops. They do right. their <laughs> marathon runs. I don't know what they do, but I know that you guys do beautiful things. Because I am here in flat Florida, so I understand. <laughs> we still have a good life. Yes. Um, but but I'm happy that you have these moments, and there's so much beauty on your you know horizon. I'm so grateful. Um, and we were able to talk last week when I was in all those different spaces and not all of them, but a few of them. So, um, I'm grateful that, uh, we can learn from you because you have a richness and a depth that I think, as I mentioned, fours really bring to us in terms of kind of grabbing, not just going, um, but mm-hmm. you really sit in and let the, the beauty saturate you and you've brought that to your book. So can you tell us about your Enneagram book? I think it's very unique and I haven't seen one like it. Yeah, it's um, who mentioned a sneak
1: peek. So, yeah. this is actually a proof copy I have next to me. So, it's got the little line on it, the real copy, <laughs> the little line on it. But it's called Out of the Box and Into the Wild An Enneagram Journey Through the Triads of Nature. Mm-hmm. And there's two things that I really was. Uh, wanting to do with this book. One is about triads and one is about nature. So I think that there's a little less out there on the triads. And I have found that to be a really helpful piece of Enneagram, especially as I do work with teams. Mm -hmm. Um, I've ended up finding myself a lot in the corporate world in the Enneagram work that I do. And one of the things that triads offer is um, a way that every type has something in common with every other type. And so Mm -hmm. sometimes in our type descriptions, we just feel really separate from each other. Like I'm this way and you're that way, but everybody has a triad in common with every other type. And so like for, Mm -hmm. for me with my, with my one partner, we're together in the idealist triad. Mm -hmm. And I see that in the way that we operate. And like, we do house projects a lot because both of us can capture onto that vision and find the energy of that vision of the idealism triad. And it's meaningful that we have that in common, what we have different. Um, is we have our harmonic groups, which is our, our conflict styles. That's different. I'm reactive and he's competent in his conflict style. And that triad, it's also helpful to know we don't have that in common
0: yeah. <laughs> and to have the
1: language for the difference in that triadic approach for me needing to process things and him wanting to solve things and saying, oh, yeah. Just time out. That's a different need. How do we make space for each other in those triad groups? So, mm-hmm. um, so in the book, then there's imagery for all these different triad groups. So most people are the most familiar with, um, the triad of the head, heart and gut center. So that's here.
0: Mm-hmm.
1: So I have, um, with the gut center, so types eight, nine, and one, I use the imagery of earth, mm-hmm. With the heart center types two, three, and four, I use the imagery of water and with the head center five, six, and seven, I use the imagery of air. Um, and then each type within that has different symbols. So like as a four, I've got an iceberg as as the mm-hmm. version of water that is me. Um, and then there's a description of that sort of scientifically to help people enter into that imagery of the metaphor and sit with it. As you said, I love the way you said that about the invitation, an invitation to just sit with this a little bit, yeah. then a description of the type uh, itself kind of making that connection. And then there's always reflection questions for every, uh, every page because- I'm always asking questions, (laughs) always asking people to sit with deeper questions, Mm.
0: Um,
1: but then that's only one of the triads. So another triad group is about how we hold our energy. So Mm -hmm. here I have um, uh, the active and receptive and balancing energy. Sometimes that's also social styles is another way it's called or so it's assertive or um, withdrawing or um, competent or um, compliant social styles. So here I have then the assertive I have as tropical temperature and the receptive I have as boreal temperature and the balancing I have as temperate. And that matters for how we're approaching things socially and to sit with that metaphor for a little bit for kind of our temperature as we're entering a room. Mm. And then for our conflict styles, I went with animals because as a reactive type, I think I can own that I'm more like a carnivore. (laughs) so that's types four six and eight yeah. um the the positivity types so that so this would be you as the seven the sevens the nines the 2s who we're putting the spin on it that's more like herbivore that's rolling with it a little differently and i think omnivores are probably the most like that competency triad of one three and five who's really trying to solve problems and fix things yes. um, and using that intellect to do so like omnivores use their intellect to eat oh. and then the last triad is um plants and so we have um here we have what's sometimes called the harmony triads. I call them mm-hmm. um, the collaboration triads because I find that that's, this is really about how we work together, what we offer to people as we work with them. And mm-hmm. so we have um, types two, five, and eight in um, this diplomatic triad that offers themselves. And so I have that as the spore-bearing plants. Mm-hmm. Um I have, um, in contrast, I have that idealist triad that's really offering a vision. And so there I have the flower bearing plants. Mm -hmm. And then in the middle, I have that pragmatist triad that says, actually, I'll offer... instead of doing spores or flowers, let's do rhizomes. (laughs) And so we have types uh, three, six, and nine. I have as rhizome plants because they reproduce by cloning themselves Mm -hmm. and by, and they often then reproduce faster because of the way that they're doing that. So I have that as that metaphor for our last triad. So, um, and then each one, each type has different um, things. So this kind of at the end of the book, every type would have a bunch of images for their type that they can sit with. So these are the pages for type two. Uh, to sit with for how all that goes together. Mm. Um, So that's the book. I'm excited for the way, you know, I think about in using this um, with other people, whether it's a team or a family or a couple to again, notice those points in common and to notice those points that are different. So to say, okay, I am more like water. My Mm. husband is more like earth. Um, I am more Um, like a carnivore. My husband is more like an omnivore to even have that imagery starts to feel a little bit different. It feels a little bit lighter Mm
0: -hmm. than just saying,
1: I do it this way. And you do it that way. And that feeling of right, wrong that can happen as compared to just difference.
0: I love that. You bring us right into the world, into visual imagery, which I think is the spectacular piece of fours bringing us the visual, um, the touch, the The ways you guys seem to engage with the world feels granular in the sense of how deep you get and how close you get. Um, And I think that that's something that uh, has caused most of us probably in the world to be able to do what you're saying we need to do, which is, of course, go to the emotional depths together but yet in a way that feels like we're not stuck. Uh, And I do see you and your husband's journey in that because he kind of lifts you up out of that, gets you doing, and of course you pull him into the the pieces of the work that need to be looked at and sat with. And like you said, you're both idealists. So doing that in a beautiful way is your gift um, together. So I think that's a gift to all of us. And I felt that when I was going through your book because as you're naming a lot of information there, I want to invite readers, Who maybe aren't watching on YouTube because our new YouTube channel is new, um, Mm -hmm. is that it's really beautiful to um, to walk through her book visually. And I'm not a visual person, even, but Mm -hmm. there was a sense of peace because it wasn't overwhelming with words. Uh, And I read fast, and I read a lot of words a week, and so just being invited into the cool, beautiful imagery, um, along with a few pieces of work, you know, uh, of you know, text and then some questions and there's questions in each chapter, right? Mm. Yeah. Really
1: on each page, every single thing that has an image with it has questions with it. And that really, that heart to slow down is really there. Cause I get overwhelmed. There are so many good Enneagram resources out there, but I get a little overwhelmed. It's so much to take in. And I I felt the need to slow down and I thought I'm probably not the only one who needs to slow down and just sit with some of this stuff a little bit longer instead of just taking in more and more and more
0: information. Yeah. I mean, I certainly appreciate that as a thinking type and need that desperately. So I was just so touched by it. And I know some of our listeners will be too in that way, many of them, because uh, you're inviting us on adventure, but also into a very serious journey of growth and depth. And I noticed for my husband being a one, when I was sharing some of it with him, he was really happy with it. And he was like, "Um, this is really speaking to me because it was succinct and yet mm-hmm. goes deep. So mm-hmm. that's beautiful. That's probably, that is the
1: value of editors mm-hmm. and <laughs> being editor. edited, I think, or even yeah. for me, actually, I think as a four, it's interesting to, I had a framework that I decided to follow for the book that really kept me restrained in a helpful way, because I think fours mm-hmm. can want to go to the depth so much that mm-hmm. it can get overwhelming to other people to keep going that, that, yeah. that, that, far mm. and there was a way that like each each image had one page of text and one image to go with it and so that me- meant it had to stay within that page of text yeah. and I think that was helpful and also meant it pushed me to have to describe each type as much as I could with an even amount of words mm-hmm. um, in order to be in that framework because there's a temptation I would have to use lots of words for the four because we're so you know <laughs> whatever um, but to say no actually we can be described in the same amount of words as other types we can we can we can do that discipline of of sort of finding that succinctness the other thing that happened is one of my proofreaders was a type 1 who helped me actually change some of the imagery to be more colorful mm. because i hadn't noticed that i had picked sort of a monochrome color palette for some of the images of a one and it made me think about how important it is to connect with people of different types about how things are landing with them,
0: mm. because
1: it's always different to speak towards another type. That's not mine. Yeah. Um, than to hear from the person of that type, how did this land with you?
0: Um, mm. and, so, and then
1: to be able to receive that and say, it's actually important for me to receive that editing and say, this didn't land right. Yeah. So I'm going to, sh- I'm going to shift and I'm going to help it land better.
0: Yeah. I think that's really cool that when you do a book of this magnitude, there's a lot of hands in it. Um, And I think that then you get to produce something extra beautiful and meaningful because as you know, you can do as much expansiveness work as you can. And there's still going to be limitations because you still carry the four most strongly. So I love how you're Mm -hmm. saying there was other people giving me input. I took it. It was harder at times than others, but I took it and the result is you're being humble to say it's beautiful but uh you know i give credit to uh you know a lot of people in this journey and and i think that's something i've learned as a writer too um and i think that that's awesome because i think readers are even more excited they're like oh you considered other types um mm-hmm. i also like how you were alluding here to just the sense that when you are looking at your type and your spouse's type, it's less of a hero-victim mentality um, mm-hmm. or hero-villain rather, because I think we do get into that a lot in marriage, especially. Mm-hmm. So um, tell us how our audience might be able to avoid some of that when they start to look at the triads, because that is so big in middle marriage to be like, "Ah, oh, mm-hmm. I learned your type. You're so hard and difficult for me. I wish I had a different type. Help us to understand like, how you can balance this out a bit. With this book?
1: Yeah. So I think the triads, um, for me, it it gives this space for everybody to have a place that belongs. That there's not a hero, there's not a villain, there's not a victim. Mm -hmm. Like we're all it's that place of belonging. And so I it's always easiest to think about it then with my own partnership that people could apply to others. So to say, okay. What does it mean for someone to be a gut and for someone else to be a heart? What's, what's missing? What's, what's strong there? One of the things that means for us is we often meet in the head. Mm. Um, that one of the ways to think about the triad is it can sometimes be easiest to meet in the triad. That's not our own to find that compromise Mm. and middle ground. Mm. And so we, we actually are able to have some of the more seamless places, uh, uh, in conversation are when we're in the head, um, because that's not either of our dominant. And then we can also push each other to be connected to the one, you know, that the other one's not dominant in. So that I think really helps there, I think for, um, for the, when I think about, I already mentioned the, um, sort of the, the harmonic, uh, triads or the conflict styles that happen there. And I think that that capacity to have language for conflict style really matters a lot. I saw this happen in a team, um, where I broke up the team into different groups. So one was in the competency group, everybody went and picked their group according to their types. So there was a competency group, there was a positivity group, and there was this reactive group and the competency group, like you could, I, you could have heard a pin drop when they realized that the reactivity group didn't want them to solve the problem. They wanted that to be heard. (laughs) Mm. And and they were just, that was completely new to them that somebody, because we assume that the other person wants the same thing we want in conflict. So having that language of that triad difference really matters for, to say like, okay, you know, in what does it mean for you to be in that positivity and to be partnered with somebody who's in that competency and how can that both help and how can that sometimes create a miss? Same thing. Sometimes for me, it really helps that I'm partnered with someone who wants to solve the problem so that I don't just talk about it without solving it. And sometimes that really is hard because I want to be heard before we solve it. And so, um, the triad just gives a different language. It's, it's a little bit more, uh, I find that it's, sometimes easier to find that language than to find that type language that if I just, if it's, it's a little quicker to be like, Oh, I'm being reactive right now or I need that reactive space yeah, I love or it. Um, versus kind of thinking about all those descriptors of a one. Yeah. Um, and I, and I think that um, I really see that as well in the, that energy triad difference for like what it is to be, um, you know, balancing versus receptive. I see, I see that there's a different, um, response to expectations and social norms, um, where that matters more to somebody in that balancing triad than it matters to me. And so what is it to, to see that as an okay difference, to see that as Mm. a, a way that we show up differently in the world and can balance each other in that and, and can find our way, um, in that different approach.
0: Mm, that's really neat that you're like, I'm willing to offer what I have, but I'm also willing to receive when I'm doing my triad work, because mm-hmm. I know there's something that I'm missing, but there's a gift that I have. And that's really, I think humbling and it brings in some compassion towards the different person. Uh, and it allows us to see our spouse as valued and gifted versus, like we said, villainous of mm-hmm. you don't get it. Uh, you're missing this piece. And instead you're like, oh, we're each missing a piece, but we need to hold something beautiful. And I even love how you said, we can meet in that third section sometimes of whatever triad we're in. We can meet in that head, heart, or body, whichever one we're not. And and if we're reactive and logical, we can meet in the positivity space. And if we're um, withdrawing and aggressive, we can meet in sort of a compliance space. Like that's neat for me to think on. Um, And I think some of our listeners are probably piecing that together as well. Um, And I like how you gave a particular also animal to each type too so i think our readers will have fun looking to see what animal they are and why and there's so many unique portrayals so i just want you guys to dig in to have fun maybe like i did bring the book on an adventure and read it aloud to each other Uh, that would be really cool but tell us where we can find this stephanie this is such a beautiful unique resource
1: Yeah, it's, um, the, the best place to find it is on Amazon. And so it's available in hardcover, softcover, and Kindle form on Amazon. Mm -hmm. Um, and I, I also hope kind of with those, uh, animals or any of the imagery that, that people can find their own words for it. That part of that succinctness can also be to like sit with it longer and find your own place with it. So for a type four, I, um, I, the, I picked octopus without even knowing how much octopus would relate to me. And the more I've sat with octopus, I watched the documentary, My Octopus Teacher, and I was like, oh yeah. my gosh, I love, I'm going to have to get an octopus tattoo. I love
0: octopuses.
1: <laughs> um, but I didn't know that when I wrote it yeah. even. And so my, part of my hope is people get the book in their hands as they can sit with it and they can sort of even find their own metaphor say like, gosh, I don't really love octopus. I really wish yeah. she would have picked yeah. egret for me well go ahead explore the egret talk about how that image is meaningful to you and use mm-hmm. those metaphors as a way to connect with yourself to connect with your partner Yeah, um, because it just creates a different neutrality to the conversation I think sometimes mm-hmm. if we're talking about something metaphorical versus mm-hmm. targeted mm-hmm. So, yeah um, that, so yeah amazon.com is, is the best place for the book and then um, I also my website is stephaniejspencer.com there's some sort of you can peek at the inside the book there if if you want to do that as well
0: we will. Absolutely. And I'm leaving it in the show notes. And by the way, my daughter who is a 4 self four, uh, loved the octopus analogy. And she was just like, oh my gosh, like we were reading how uh, the octopus is really like, you know, emotional and people don't always know that. And yet it has its time and retreat. And so like, these are very nuanced analogies she gives. And I also just love how you said, like, maybe you're like, no, this is my wing or I, you might notice a different animal and that might be like, oh, wow, I didn't realize how much I was in my eight right now. So anyway, Mm -hmm. beautiful depictions. I love that it's on Amazon. I also love your website and your Instagram. So we're leaving all that for our guests too. And thank you so much, Stephanie. Yeah. Thank you so much for having me on. It was, I I think it's a great overlap with this adventure
1: theme that you're doing with the books coming out right now.
0: Yes. And have so much fun on your adventures. Thank you. I will. Awesome. Well, thank you guys so much for sharing in that time with us. That was really interesting. And I'm so grateful to learn that Stephanie has hardcover and soft cover. So I've gotten to do a visualization of the the view on my Technology. And now I'm like, oh, I need to get off tech and really look at the pages with you. So I am heading out for my order and I hope you do too. What a cool way to really, especially for those of you who are visual types, to really get a sense for the beauty of God, the beauty of nature, uh, the beauty of our differences, so that we can have all these better lenses for communication. So thanks for joining on the journey into the wild with us. Make sure you follow Stephanie and we'll talk to you soon. Bye bye.